You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. We're here on the sort of mini bye week recording on a Wednesday night, here to talk all about your Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I am the co-host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast, Blake Murphy, joined as always by my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. And John, we don't have a win to talk about with the Cardinals tonight, but we do have at least a pretty impressive performance in a loss there's no such thing at this point obviously as moral victories or ties but I was at least encouraged by what I saw what were some of your takeaways from the Niners game uh in a game which the Cardinals played maybe the two toughest teams in the NFC over the span of four days John your thoughts yeah well first of all it's it's great to be back it feels like we haven't done this in, in a little while even though it's only been about a week but you know that Thursday night game throws you off but you know, I, I was taking my son trick-or-treating for really the first couple uh, drives, uh, and mm-hmm. so I had to re-watch a lot of this game after the fact, but I've had a, I've had time to digest their outing, um, and it, it, it's one of the more impressive performances of the season, uh, regardless of the outcome, specifically from an offensive standpoint. Um, the maturation of Cliff Kingsbury as a play caller, being able to do what they did, specifically in the second half offensively, um, was something that I thought that they would have a difficult time doing uh, against a, a Niner defense that hadn't given up, I think, more than 20 or 21 points in a game. Um, but yeah, my, my biggest takeaway, I, I think that the debut from Kenyon Drake uh, was, and I put this in my postgame write-up, was probably the best debut for, for any single player offensively that I can remember. Um, when you come out on a national televised game when you've had the playbook for what, two and a half days, you really didn't get a padded practice and you put up 110 yards for on 15 carries against that vaunted Niner defense. You add in uh, roughly what? 40 plus yards receiving. Yeah. 50 you're, you're yards. Going, he had 155 yeah, yards against like the, basically the number one rush defense in the league, it, which is it, is it was one of the best performances I can remember. Uh, he, he's been top five in broken tackles since he's entered the league. Um, in 2000, I believe 16, he was a third round pick 73rd overall and just was grossly underused for Miami. Um, but I also do think that what we're also seeing Blake is that this offense with the way Kingsbury has designed it is running back friendly. Uh, and that's not to diminish what Drake has done. Uh, but we saw when Edmonds was in there outside of the game in new Orleans, when he got hurt, when he was the feature back, he produced, um, backs are going to want to play in this offense because of the opportunity to play alongside a threat to run like Kyler Murray and then just the creativity from Cliff Kingsbury. Um, Kenyon Drake is really kind of the prototypical back for this offense because of of how much of a quality receiver he is. Um, And then the explosiveness, the ability to break tackles, to make men miss in the open field. He's a very fluid, smooth runner. Um, and David, at this point in his career, he's, he's much more of an inside plotter, still an elite receiver, but, um, I don't even think Edmonds has the explosiveness that we saw from Drake. 
um, and that we could potentially see right. over the second half of this this season. So that was that was my biggest takeaway, just his effort, um, and then the way the offense um, really got going in the second half. You know, kudos to that group, kudos to the offensive line. You know, I put something out on Twitter early Saturday morning, or excuse me, Thursday morning. Got my days mixed up. That I had heard rumblings that the Justin Pugh was going to play right tackle, um, and I think it was pretty well documented. Justin Murray didn't play at all or didn't practice at all throughout the duration of that week and um, the shortened week. And really Pew made sense as the only option to be able to play right tackle, but they uh, weren't reporting anything. The team wasn't, they were really quiet. He didn't get any live reps. Um, and then I got uh, tipped off Thursday morning that he was going to play right tackle and Mason Cole was going to play left guard. I thought that was a brilliant move by Kingsbury. I thought it was the right move. Uh, it paid dividends. They gave up some pressures in the first half, second half. Murray was under minimal duress and, you know, I'll skip ahead to the, to the conclusion of this game, Blake. Had the defense been able to get one stop at the end, I have, I have no doubt in my mind with the way Murray and the offense was operating, especially when you consider the fact they'd be in four-down territory on that drive, they would have gotten a field goal, and they would have sent that game to overtime. Right. It's a shame that Murray's defense, that Kingsbury's defense let them down, and as as high as we've been on the offense and, and the explosive plays – the maturation of the run game, the pass protection, which I think has been better than, you know, the stats would indicate that's how poorly the defense has played, uh, which is, which is incredibly frustrating. The pass defense is historically bad for this team. And it's, it's really right now what's, what's holding them back, Blake. Yeah. Even last year, the Cardinals had, I believe at the end of the season, a top 12 passing defense so far throughout the, uh, this year, they're going to be probably looking at, maybe a bottom five team it looks like as far as pass defense just because of how these quarterbacks are able to go off. Let, let's look at the game. When when you talked about with Kenyon Drake that I think is especially important is his role in this offense is obviously different from a, both a David Johnson and a Chase Edmonds in that he has a lot of – whereas David, as you said, is still a bit of a plotter, long strider. He's never been kind of the guy who – is going to be able to be an elite change of pace um, outside of the jump cuts that we've seen in the past in that 2016 year. Those jump cuts don't seem to be there anymore, at least the explosiveness that you would see is still there with Kenyon Drake. You see a guy who can run in between, kind of shift, make a man miss, and suddenly he's gone downfield for 20 yards. What's great about that is that Chase Edmonds is more of your kind of makes one cut and then you're gone, and then he's got the ability to kind of bounce off guys. We saw that in the Giants game. Whereas Drake, at least for the most part, his ability and skill set is different. So kudos to him getting up to speed quick enough. I think it does at least show a lot of people joke about how ultimately in the NFL we're learning more and more that running backs really don't matter as long as you've got a talent that really fits. You've got a line that's able to protect. And you've got a guy who ultimately knows what he's doing. We saw that wasn't the case with Zach Zenner at a blitz protection. That was blown. We saw that wasn't even the case with Alfred Morris, who the Cardinals essentially released. But there's a huge supply of backs, I think, that are around in the league that you're able to find pretty cheaply. And that, to me, is at least encouraging that, um, you know, when David Johnson goes down, this team is, uh, is with the offensive mind they have is not going to be, for lack of a better word, uh, wanting at the running back position. They put up over 200 yards on the ground against San Francisco uh, that all kicked off with their very first drive where the very first play of the game essentially had a 36-yard run up the middle with by Kenyon Drake. Um, they kind of rode him for the most part at least, had a incomplete deep pass to Max Williams, 
And then he ended up with a horse collar tackle on Kyler Murray on 39. Essentially extended the drive overall. You're at the San Francisco 19. They're able to punch it in for the most part. Um, DJ Humphreys, at least I believe, was actually hurt for a little bit. Comes off the field for the touchdown to Kenyon Drake. A four-yard rush off to the right. Um, he comes back in the game. And overall, the big story that we talked about, John, was, was Humphreys versus Bosa. The meeting of the two first-round picks. Essentially, even though Bosa has been having an incredible start to the season, we really did end up seeing this become the Kyler Murray show a lot. It wasn't really the biggest statistically, only had about 240 yards. A lot of those came on a deep pass to Andy Isabella. But the game overall started in favor for the Cardinals up until the very end of the first quarter, um, where you ended up seeing where I believe it was the uh, 7-0 lead, at least for the team overall. And uh, you get into the second quarter. And things just kind of fell apart overall for the team. They give up two long touchdown drives. Two of the Niners are down uh, essentially 14-7. to Then came the end of the half. Cardinals end up going on an eight-play drive. They end up at the own 36-yard line. They take a deep shot. That's incomplete for the most part. And at that point, the Niners go on this huge 13-play, 80-yard drive down over to Arizona. Um, you got about a minute and 48 seconds left or so. Uh, the team essentially, I had a. Uh, this is kind of one of the more disappointing things I saw was they got off the field essentially with an incomplete pass to Emmanuel Sanders. They called defensive pass interference on Jordan Hicks. Essentially, Arizona goes and is able to hold them on four straight plays where they run the ball. I think it was twice. I know they threw the ball twice for that one. Um, Kittle gets pushed out of bounds, at least Arizona 9. You've got about 52 seconds left. Um, they end up tackling him short, and the Niners end up calling a timeout with four seconds left. And at that point, you have the probably the most controversial decision of the game with Cliff Kingsbury. Calls a timeout after a stop by Hassan Reddick. Um, they end up blowing up a run play. That was the case. There's Some people have wondered, did the Niners kind of know or hear that a timeout was coming? Didn't push as hard. To me, it looked like... They were just running the ball. Reddick made a great read, made a great tackle for loss. Kingsbury calls a timeout, kind of ices his own defense in regard. Uh, Niners come back. They have a uh, put Emmanuel Sanders now in the backfield, kind of lined up as a tight end. He sneaks out to the right. You got a touchdown, and you're down 21 to seven with the Niners receiving the ball in the second half. So, John, what were your thoughts on? The decision from Kingsbury essentially to this, like, did you feel like this was something that was Cliff? Was it a mistake, a learning lesson? Was it something that blew the game? Because for me, this was an example of if you look at it, it really did have a big impact on the game, especially at the ending overall where the Cardinals sure. were ultimately down. Yeah, I mean, the first half finish was inexcusable, but he's a first-year head coach. He's a first-year NFL coach. He's never been a coordinator at the professional level, he's ne obviously never been a head coach or position coach at the professional level. He's still learning the game. Um, and I think he's entitled to mistakes as, as you know, damning as they, they are. Murray's allowed mistakes as a first-year player. I mean, like, we need to have some patience. But I can't sit here and say the decision didn't dramatically change the outcome of the game. I mean, if they aren't able to, to produce points there, if the Cardinals are able to secure that stop on fourth down, before he calls that timeout, um, then, you know, potentially the Cardinals are able to rally in the second half. They might still lose. You know, who knows? I, I did not mind the challenge at the end of the game. I think Kingsbury knew his defense was toast, that they were going to give up conversions because that's all they did all night. They allowed conversions. Uh, I believe the, the Niners were 11 for 17 on third down. 
And so he's probably thinking to themselves, you know what, if I can force this and get them to fourth down and make them have a decision here, I'm going to do that even if there's a 20% chance. You know, maybe you get the call at home mm-hmm. Thursday night. Maybe the league wants to see it for whatever reason, go to overtime or let Kyler Murray drive down the field. That's not the way it should be done. But I mean, a lot of things are going through his mind. I think he thought like the rest of us that, you know, if I if I don't challenge this, they're just going to continue to drive because we have not stopped. They didn't stop them all night. There were only a handful of times that took, you know, really incredible pass breakups from, you know, the likes of Buda Baker uh, and a really nice tackle from Byron Murphy before the Andy Isabella touchdown where the Cardinals were able to, to, to stop a conversion. Um, they 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 had no answer for Jimmy Garoppolo. He pr- played probably his best game as a pro. And so if there was an outside chance yep. that they could challenge that and and, and secure a, a third down stop, even though I, I still think San Francisco might have gone for it on fourth and inches. I, that was the right decision. Had no problem with it. Knew it probably wouldn't have been overturned, but knew you had to do it anyway. So, again, it's unfortunate. You would have loved to seen Kingsbury call his best game. And, and let's be honest, Kingsbury had a phenomenal game calling offensively i think that people are too focused on you know the the call at the end of the half which was difficult to stomach and not focused on the fact that the cardinals put up with a rookie quarterback with limited um you know offensive personnel a running back who just joined the team uh, several days before um you know offensive line that's missing its you know fourth string right tackle that's you know it's a mixed mismatch of you know key pieces they went up against San Francisco and put up 25 points and over 350 total yards. They had nine drives. They averaged more yards per play than San Francisco. Um, they had a better rushing attack than San Francisco. So, I mean, but everybody in the media on Twitter, snark Twitter, wants to focus on that call. Um, yeah. I, I think this game, had they won it, that would have been fantastic for morale. But I think being around the team, I'm sure Kingsbury would tell you that the guys were really happy with their effort. And outside of a couple plays like that, I mean, the it's hard to win in the NFL, period. Um, the margin for error is small. Um, but at the same time, they feel like, you know what, we're going to play these guys in 10 days from now or whenever. We feel like we can we can play with them in their place and potentially come out with a win. So, you know, it's – do we remember – I put this on Twitter. Do we remember just a year ago – Right around this point in the season, the Cardinals hosted a bad under 500 Denver Bronco team led by, I think it was Case Keenum, and they dropped an embarrassing performance on Arizona I had not seen since the Seattle 56 to nothing debacle. That game rolls in through, I think, multiple pick sixes, fumbles return for a touchdown, gave up like 10 sacks. The offense couldn't do anything. The defense was an embarrassment. That was a year ago. Now, if we fast forward to this year, the team has already run more games to this point than they had a year before with essentially the same personnel outside of a couple pieces on defense and Kyler Murray. They're much more of a, of a watchable team. They're top. They're in the top half for offense, and they nearly pulled this out. So let's all take a step back from the ledge and, and, and think about the big picture, which is 2020 and beyond, and how this, even in a loss, can be a significant building block for this franchise. Just my opinion, but... <laughs> I think I think people need to take a step and, and realize, you know what? At the end of the day, this team was an embarrassment last year. They've come a long way already. Yeah, the uh, yeah, even looking at another game, the previous game against the Niners was a really rough game for the Cardinals. There was a defensive one that they had against a bad offense, but I still even remember 
the comeback game that they had from Rosen. Essentially, it was uh, a, a game where the team was, I believe, at least up by, was they scored three points there, 15 to three. It was just this brutal, rough game where the Cardinals were down for the majority of the game, could get nothing going on. Everyone's like, they're going to have to just get a takeaway on defense just to get back in this game. It was brutal to watch. And then, uh, you know, credit to the team, they were able to drive down for two scoring drives and were able to then get the two-point conversion at least to be able to get back into it. But yeah, a, a year later overall, you've got a lot of people who are going and dissecting the film on a national level who are able to see the throws, seeing the play, seeing even some of the rushing ability. Uh, a lot of blame did go in Kingsbury. And you're, I was going to say you went to the uh, to kind of the end game play, at least for the most part, for the most uh, I, for me at least on that before we kind of uh, get back into the game. I didn't have as much of a problem, like you said, with the end game call. I think from the sideline and the immediacy of the moment, it makes sense. And it also is, hey, you know, we get this call. Um, it's there. It's overturned. Waller is in the NFL. Those spot judgments and those spot calls, especially that are there, are really, really difficult to get overturned. And um, overall, the case as far as for as we saw, John, didn't really matter ultimately what the Cardinals were going to be doing on the next drive anyway. Um, maybe something's a little bit different for the most part. Like if they, uh, but again, like you even said, if you're in that situation, if you do get the call overturned, suddenly it's fourth down. The Niners have to decide: do we go for it on the chance that the ball gets batted down or the run gets stuffed and suddenly the Cardinals take over already in field goal range or do they have a choice of hey we have to punt it back to Arizona um, then in that case the Cardinals get the ball back still would have the two minute warning left and ultimately two timeouts it was a risk that I think you're right was worth taking it also just shows to me the complete lack of faith that Kingsbury had in his defense just to get a single stop. If the Cardinals get any type of stop over there, they still have one timeout that's left. Um, they still had the two-minute warning, at least. That was enough to slow down the clock. There'd be at least enough time try to hope to see if they could get a big play or two and get into field goal range to send it into overtime. Uh, ultimately, this is, again, like you said, maybe the best game Garoppolo has played. He made tight clutch throws from the pocket. He was uh, The Cardinals were kind of exchanging punts a little bit back and forth to begin the game. Uh, eventually, then it turned into um, kind of the turning point for the game where the Cardinals force a punt, able to go and drive down the field and score a touchdown. Um, you have a pass to Keyshawn Johnson. Murray essentially leaves his feet on the play if you watch the replay. Looks like he almost recognized it, stopped short, but his momentum was carrying him to where he would fall over. So he ended up adjusting, made sure he had his mechanics were set proper, fired a laser into an open Keyshawn. The next drive to me was probably the biggest killer. You ended up seeing a 23-yard uh, pass to George Kittle to begin. You ended up looking at least where there was a fumble, at least ultimately, that was uh, recovered by Arizona. The call was reversed. That was one of the big plays of the game. You did see that Coleman's knee was down. If you could just force that fumble, essentially that might be a game that the Cardinals, you could say, end up winning. But you end up seeing another couple of big plays for the most part. Emmanuel Sanders just abused Patrick Peterson and others on that drive um, for a 22-yard gain with all of that. And then you had a Dante Pettis touchdown um, with mix-up and coverage between Byron Murphy and Patrick Peterson. Um, either case, it looked like Peterson slowed up on the run. Um, you had a wide-open Pettis in the end zone, and suddenly, instead of being down by a single score, you're now down by two touchdowns. Even if you hold the Niners to a field goal there, 
This is on a third and seven play. If you just get a pass breakup or anything that you have there, if Peterson's able to recover, go quickly, break up the pass, Niners are kicking a field goal, you have a very, very different game for the Cardinals. On uh, the second half, you end up having a kind of a brutal, at least, exchanging of punts. Basically end up going with a, um, I believe it was a penalty that you had on J.R. Sweezy for an ineligible for a down, downfield pass. I really didn't see it as much for the most part, but seems to be something that the NFL wants to call this year. Um, Niners, at least for their credit, the Cardinals defense did essentially end up having um, – they're holding at least where there was a pe- pass breakup by Buda Baker um, to Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, whenever they threw at Sanders and Peterson was guarding, it wasn't good. It was a fantastic game. Maybe the best we've seen from Buda Baker outside of one play where um, he falls down on the coverage. That's the first touchdown to George Kittle. Gets pushed out of the way. It does at least show that while Buda's maybe the best safety they have in coverage, it's not something where you can match him up on George Kittle 10 out of 10 times and he'll win all 10. You need to be able to pick and choose and have a second guy who can help out and the Cardinals have zero of those and anyway it comes down to the end of the game you've got about 356 left for the most part at least the Niners do punt it back to the Cardinals and you have the play we've all been waiting for John a huge big pass play from Kyla Murray to Andy Isabella uh, just throws a laser over there. He kind of catches it in, goes over the diving defensive back. Isabella cuts it upfield. It's only his third catch of the year, and he ends up going all the way down. It's 28-25 Cardinals, and you looking at the saying, hey, Arizona, if they can get one stop, they have a chance. And on that last drive, the Niners completed not just one, not just two, not just three. Um, you can even look and say at least for that one, but you looked at, uh, I think it was three third downs that were there, plus technically there was a second one they had as a false start. Uh, they called on a manual standards. Uh, but overall, the game ends on a pass to a tight end. Um, Vance Joseph chooses to rush three, drop eight. None of the guys, at least, who were there were even close to where the tight end was. They were all way back behind the line to gain. So Garoppolo just kind of takes off to run for it. The one guy who's going to cover him goes over to make sure he doesn't pick up the first down, swings it out to the wide-open tight end, and that's it. It felt like it was almost that last play was kind of a summary for me of the whole game where you just were not able to stop a chess master when you needed it at most. And part of that, to me, felt like you were playing yourself. If you're rushing four, you may even get to Garoppolo on that last play. If you're putting at least guys in coverage, you're having a linebacker who's able to kind of watch someone out of the backfield. It felt to me like on that last play especially, and then through some of the other parts, while we can talk about Patrick Peterson and the lack of effort, to me it did also feel like there was cases where the Cardinals made it harder on themselves and they have to be in. Personally, I believe that there is a good chance that um, if Kingsbury's not on the offensive side of the ball, and this is supposed to be Vance Josephs, then what is Cliff doing saying, hey, let's take a snapshot, take a picture, a screenshot, and then, you know, see if we can use up their best play and then come back uh, on another try for that. That doesn't make as much sense to me. Maybe that is something that was a head coach decision, but it would not shock me if Vance Joseph, after some of the similar decisions we've seen in Denver on the defensive side that were baffling, if he was the one who passed that along to Kingsbury to be able to make that decision. So um, I think that to me it's another disappointment. Like we said, the it's a black mark, check mark, at least uh, in the no column free was Drew Brees. It's another one, at least here on Sunday, when – you look at the Cardinals now giving up probably about an average of 110 yards as a passer rating to all the quarterbacks they've played this year and kind of making guys look like stars against them. What were some of your thoughts on how you saw, how you read from the defense, John? I saw some encouraging signs, but overall it was a brutal, rough night for the Cards on D. 
Yeah, they did a nice job uh, against the run. They have been doing uh, better off and on. They had a rough performance a week ago uh, against New Orleans. Um, but, you know, they, they held the, the vaunted Niner run game, which had been averaging um, second in the league most rushing yards to the Baltimore Ravens. I think they held them as a team to roughly 3.3 yards per carry. But, of, of course, on the flip side, they allowed Jimmy G to throw for career highs and, and passing yards and passing touchdowns. Yeah, you, you can sell out to stop the run, but if you're going to be somebody, you got to can't just be playing that soft zone all the way behind for the most part, all the I, whole I, game, which I, I feel like they did that a whole lot. Now, granted, sometimes they did play man, and that was when Sanders beat Peterson. But you're right. It, it is ultimately something we've seen that's continued with the Cardinals this year. I think Peterson's the story of this game. And, you know, you can single out a bunch of different scenarios, but I, I, I think that with the trading deadline, coming and going and the encouragement from his buddy Deion Sanders for the team. Cause I mean, he's, that's his, that's his mouthpiece in the media. Peterson has, I guess, stopped coming public, at least for now asking for a trade from the team. And so, I mean, he feeds, you know, he feeds information to Deion Sanders. Deion came out before the trade deadline and said he needed to be freed and Peterson then goes out and, and puts on a performance like that on national television. And that's after he said that, you know, the last couple games of the season are going to be the best of his career. I just, I think it underscores, and I'm not trying to be prisoner of the moment, but my position has been consistent since day one last year at this time when he asked for a trade and they could have really maximized his value before the suspension with years on the contract. I just, I think that you missed an opportunity to move him for significant draft capital and now you're stuck with an expensive corner who I, I he's not going to play as poorly as he did on on Thursday night. I think he, he plays fine for the rest of the year, but you don't know what you're getting next year. You're getting a player. I know physically, you know, you're getting a player who's going to be 30 years old playing corner and he's going to want a new contract. So I, I think the Cardinals need to look in the mirror and, and say to themselves, OK, like, is he a part of our long term plans? is what comes with Peterson, if this is going to be the norm now for him, where you're going to have a bunch of this outside noise, and then he may or may not show up in terms of his play on, on Sunday, that's a problem. When this is Kyler Murray's team, and you've got young players in the secondary that are ascending, thank God you know we're, we're seeing really great signs of improvement from, from Buda Baker after a slow start to the season. Byron Murphy, I think, is going to be a really nice player in this league. You've got a couple young safeties. Maybe you've got something there. Peterson, just to me, he never fit the future of this team. And I think people want to romanticize the past, what he did. He's been on the Cardinals for a long time, almost a decade. 2011 was his rookie year. He's played, and this is why I don't understand Dion's point of view. You know, go, ask, go ask guys like you know Calvin Johnson or, to a lesser extent, A.J. Green, who may have made the playoffs once or twice, but they never won a playoff game. They never went to an AFC title game. The Cardinals have made the playoffs – um, a couple times during Peterson's tenure, they've been on national TV a lot. They've been a relevant franchise for the most part throughout Peterson's tenure. And and so I, I just I think that he is in a position where, number one, coming off that suspension, he should be motivated and should not be leaking out information to the media to try to get the Cardinals to deal him. Because it was evident when the Cardinals were they received a, a significant offer from the Philadelphia Eagles. At least a first plus a player or a first and an additional pick. The Cardinals, according to, to what I had heard secondhand, um, and I never got this confirmed, but mm -hmm. wanted 
two two first rounders like Jacksonville got for for Jalen. Um, uh, and and we're never going to get that with Peterson's age, his baggage. Um, I would have dealt him this yeah, offseason. That, that, that that's really year. showing. That's showing almost Jaylen like you're Ramsey. putting the they standard too Jaylen high. They wanted Jalen Ramsey off, right? His name escapes me, but so yeah. I think that if I mean if 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 Peterson plays an average game against San Francisco, they've got a great shot at winning. Right. And so now, I, again, I'm prisoner of the moment. He played well against New York. He's probably going to play well against Mike Evans this this next week um, against Tampa. But I just he's a when he's playing well he's great but how many more guys over the age of 30 how many defensive backs you know improve over the age of 30 right pass rushers can do it quarterbacks but i i can play corners to running backs where you kind of just take a nosedive and then you know the cardinals would be in a position where they they were winning games without patrick peterson and they lose games with patrick peterson i mean he's not this magic elixir clearly for this defense that needs a ton of help they need interior line help they need a young pass rusher you could argue they need two inside linebackers they need corners um they need a a free safety i mean uh, being able to have that resource in the first round uh, like philadelphia right now i mean like they're a fringe playoff team in the nfc you're telling me after watching that performance and i'll end on this blake you wouldn't take the 19th overall pick next April on top of having maybe like the 12th overall pick and an additional, maybe like third to be able to spend on Kyler Murray and this team shed that cap and really pump up next season with a ton of new, young, exciting talent. But instead everybody romanticized Peterson. We go into next year, you're handcuffed now because you're not going to get what you want in this off season. His value only is going to diminish and you've missed that window. So it's unfortunate, but it is what it is at this point. Yeah, and we'll see also, especially when when it hits the offseason, what I've talked about is that things get very different when you know where teams are picking in a lot of those amounts. Not to say that you'll be able to maybe have a similar type of deal or offer. You, you might not, but it does end up changing a lot. I think that you're right for the Cardinals because, like we've talked about, if Peterson went and was basically good as new – then the Cardinals would be clearly looking to try to say, all right, back to normal, locking it up. When there's a struggle that's here that you've seen with not just this week, but the past two weeks. Now, either you can say he's not being used properly, or you say that he is looking a step slow. And whether it's from the PED stuff that's been there in the offseason, whether that is still some of the conditioning, I, I didn't see any issues with the conditioning in the Giants game. And, and when it comes down to a player who is essentially like saying, oh, yeah, there's a P2 effect that's going to be there and is putting off a lot of that bravado, you are opening yourself up to a lot of criticism when you do end up strumbling. So if Peterson wants to get that big deal and get paid, he's got the motivation to be able to have that. Whether he wants that from Arizona or from another team is something I've always been very interested in finding out because, you know, the number one question has always been, all right, well, we're not trading Peterson. Why do you keep asking about this? And the reason why is because you have not gotten him a contract extension yet. And if that's the case, then if he's going to be staying and you're not trading him, then either you're going to keep him throughout the remainder of his contract and let him walk, or you're working to try to get a deal done and he and his camp aren't getting it done. They don't want it done for one way or another, or he's asking for way more than you're willing to give. Either way, something is happening where – there is something that's kind of in between interfering. Now, it might be that it all ends up 
working out perfectly fine for the Cardinals might be that Peterson ends up having one of the worst games. He ends up improving as the season goes on. They sign him to an extension and he ends up playing at a similar caliber for the next few years. But I think that you're right, John, that this was kind of a wake up also for the Cardinals is if this is a trend that we do see continue for Peterson, then all of a sudden you're going to reach the end of the season where the team is going to be having to make a decision of, all right, wait, he's looking a lot of the steps though. Like, are we sure that we want this to be the case? Do we need to go in to wait another year on this extension? Or if teams start offering saying, hey, like we've got money, we need this guy to make our Super Bowl run, we'll pay for him now. Maybe you end up looking at some of the different bidders in the offseason as well. I've always felt that if you traded him during the season, you were never going to get uh, the return that was a good balance. And some of that, honestly, if we were going to be honest, did get offset by the Jalen Ramsey trade. Because if a team is offering the Cardinals, you know, a first and a third, Cardinals push back and say a first and a second, maybe even just make it, hey, a first and make it a second, first and a third now, and then add in a second next year. A team's like, sure, we're going to win our championship because we need this cornerback. We're fine with being able to have to give that up if that's the case, just so we don't have to give up the two firsts. I think that maybe what really it came down to is the Cardinals still have a lot of faith and belief in Patrick Peterson, still see him as an elite talent. Now I think, John, it just comes to all the onus is on Peterson to prove it for the rest of the season because, like we say, the Cardinals, they, they kind of hold all the uh, pun not intended cards here because if they need to end up franchise tagging him for one additional year if they feel like that their Super Bowl window is more of like a 2022 type of range. I mean, they could choose to do that if they wanted to. For the most part, he'd be 30, uh, I believe, 31 at that point. So um, we'll end up seeing what moves on with the uh, the rest of the team and the defense. But he's probably become, I think, the number one storyline on this team, even almost ahead of Kyler Murray, just because of the fact that he's been such a consistent player. And now people are looking at him saying he's no longer up the elite. He's going to have to almost work his way back into being one of those elite players. And uh, like you said, John, the value that a lot of fans have wanted or have had for him and the value of where he actually is, that, that's really going to be determined for this over the last uh, over the last seven or so games of the season. Yeah, it's skewed. It's, it's skewed. And I think part of it is... We everybody over overvalues their own players. GMs do it, coaches do it, um, and it, you need to be able to separate that from you know reality and cap you know uh, considerations and age. And this is not you know Madden. This is not fantasy football. I mean, like he has played at a Pro Bowl level for the most part since they drafted him in 2011. It's 2019. Next year, you're, you're not contending this year. He is a luxury. Any kind of contract you give him, he's not going to be Larry Fitzgerald and go year to year and give you, for the most part, a, some kind of a discount. He is probably going to want top five corner money, even at the age of 30, coming off a suspension, um, coming off subpar play. And it just everything factored and, and rolled up into this, you know, support to, to move him. It was the time to move him. But I, I do think. Even putting the fan base aside, I do think that the the organization has low self-esteem and and does not want to see him succeed elsewhere in terms of winning a championship with Philadelphia or Dallas. Um, And I think that they probably have a little bit of caution moving on from older players because of what happened with Calais Campbell. True. But, of course, Calais Campbell, totally different scenario, plays defensive line, probably played out of position with Arizona. You know, defensive linemen can play much, much longer. I, I just think... To me, I, I had a good um, recommendation the other day about, you know, if, if the two sides could come to some kind of agreement, 
I think Peterson would make a hell of a free safety if if you could if you were able to make you know the the finances work, the contract work, and, and move him just to kind of like a ball hawking position where he could take chances. He's still got elite athleticism, but man, I, I think his days as a press man corner you know, playing at a Hall of Fame level are, are done. I just do. I think it's time. Yeah, it might be that it's done. And if that's the case and Peterson's looking for this one last big deal, it's it's going to be a huge storyline for him with this because ultimately, as we've seen, then there's a lot of guys having that one year left looking for that big payday. It's been a lot of trades. Now, there hasn't been really trades as much as with guys who are of his age that we've seen for the most part, at least for those, especially not for, you know, talking a first and, and all of that. And he's on a very affordable deal for next year. I was also, I, I believe going to be questions at least of this is going to be like an unfair, I think uh, comparison given what we know now, but you know, if we enter into next season, there's still going to be concern. I know from some fans who are going to wonder, is this going to be a case where Peterson ends up with a second suspension where it's similar to a Daryl Washington type issue where you just you can't really seem to stay away. You're having to kind of go through this whole, uh, and that's what happens is once you end up kind of breaking some of that trust originally and it comes out that you tried to cover up, that is just a natural thing. Now, I don't want to di- risk, wish any disrespect on Peterson or kind of cast anything on the legacy. To me, he's still a player that if you had to say if he was you know done and retired yesterday – I think you still have to say that he's a Cardinals Ring of Honor member. No, Absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. And as a result, you'd love to see him be there. I don't know if he would I don't know if you can make that type of a move to a free safety considering the fact of a corner thing, but it is going to be, I think, the biggest story to watch through the rest of the season to me is going to be, is Peterson going to stay at this level? Does he show improvement in coming back? Is he able to kind of reassume the form that we've seen from him in the past is going to be fascinating uh, fascinating to watch. Um, let, let's go ahead as we transition, talk a little bit just with um, some of the other happenings around the NFL, particularly just looking at the upcoming opponent in the Bucks. Um, Russell yep. Wilson set a record for five touchdown passes, a personal record for him. Um, the Seahawks essentially go off on the Buccaneers, though the Buccaneers did essentially embarrass their team and their defense through the beginning part, almost even the beginning half of the game. Um, you also have kind of a lot of moves happening for the most part. The biggest one to me, at least, um, as we'll get into the Bucks a bit later, is kind of the Rookie of the Year award. Today, it took a step uh, out of the three guys who've been leading the category. Uh, you got one was at least eliminated today. Gardner Minshew has essentially been benched. Nick Foles is coming back. Josh Jacobs has been putting up probably looks, looking like about a 1,200-yard season, has looked really good with the Raiders. Some people are picking him for right now, which is a little bit surprising to me as you have Kyler still seems on pace to kind of hit that uh, 4,000, 4,200 total yards mark, at least 3,750 passing yards, maybe even can hit um, you know potentially 4,000 as a rookie. The touchdown numbers haven't been completely there, but he's you know probably looking at about one to two touchdowns a game, and they're getting back uh, David Johnson. They're probably best overall receiving a weapon that they have Correct. now, pairing him with Drake. So to me, John, this is going to be, I think, the biggest thing for the Cardinals storyline moving forward. There's now, for me, almost no excuses, at least. You want to see Kyler go out through the last eight games of the year and see this team put up enough of an effort that he can get the the award because for what it looks like for the most part between him and Minshew, I felt like it was very split. There's a lot of mentions that could be made over the last few games. It's very obvious. Last three games, Murray has gotten better and taken a step forward. Meanwhile, right. Gardner Minshew over the last three games took a step backwards. 
Yeah, so before we get into that, we can we just eliminate Daniel Jones from the conversation uh, based off of... Did we uh, did we need to mention him even? Well, I, in the just like, yeah. I just feel like he, he was kind of like the, the sexy pick, the quote-unquote sexy pick because of the fact that everybody just dumped on him after the draft, so people um, kind of overcompensated for that and then wanted to make him better than he actually was, and then he had that comeback effort against Tampa, and then won the following week against Washington with horrific numbers. And so everybody was all over him. He has been, um, for the most part, outside of a four-touchdown game effort against Detroit, awful this year. He's got 11 touchdowns to eight interceptions, but he's fumbled and lost eight fumbles this year. So I'm going to put him on the, sh- on the shelf. He is not a factor. Uh, Minshew, who had been playing well, but over the last couple of weeks, his play has fallen off considerably. He's out. So Kyler Murray is the de facto um, rookie quarterback of the year. Um, now, when you want to talk about his numbers in relation to the other contenders for offensive rookie of the year, listen, I I think if, if it's close, I think the league is going to give it to Kyler because of the fact that the team is so deprived talent-wise and also because the quarterback position just demands that much more. Um, so if he were to get to 4,000 yards passing and kick in 500 yards rushing and gets over 20 touchdowns, I think he'd be a lock for it, no matter the record. With yeah. that being said, I think the, the two biggest contenders, obviously number one is the uh, running back from the Oakland Raiders. Um, his name escapes me. Josh like, Jacobs. That's Josh the guy. Jacob. First yeah, round he's pick. A, they've had a great season. Raiders are putting together a sneaky good season. If only they could, you know, get some wide receiver help, maybe have an elite pass rusher. It would just be awesome if, you know, the, those are the only two positions they're kind of missing from their team, you could say. John right Gruden now. wanted a bell cow running yeah. back. He wanted to turn the clocks back to, to 2000 when he had Mike Allstott and won the, the Super Bowl with Tampa. But, you know, I, I think we should have seen this coming because the Raiders have always been able to run the ball. They've had nice interior offensive line, even though they're a little banged up right now. Um, he's got three 100 yard rushing games in his last four games. Um, he's averaging 4.9 yards per carry. He's, he's on pace right now for roughly 13, 1400 yards, uh, rushing 12 to 13 touchdowns. I mean, those are really nice numbers. It's not much of a receiver. He's an old school back. He's only got hundred receiving yards on the year. So he's going to, at best case scenario, he's going to come away with about 1400 yards, uh, rushing and receiving and double digit touchdowns. That's a really nice year. That's certainly rookie of the year worthy, especially if they're playing on a team that's, that's in contention for a playoff spot, albeit in the AFC. Uh, It breaks my heart, but the other contender Blake right now that's emerging for offensive rookie of the year. And I think he's probably third in this list. I put Maurice second uh, is DK Metcalf, the wide receiver for the Hmm. Seattle Seahawks that went a mere two picks after Andy Isabella did. Uh, what Metcalf has been doing as of late, what he did against Tampa right now, and you could say it's a combination of, of you know, he's only really running one or two routes, but I will say his his chemistry with Russell Wilson, it's right there with Tyler Lockett. He's got 525 yards receiving, which would lead Arizona as a team, five touchdowns, which is way more than anybody else on on the Cardinals have. And against Tampa Bay, he put up career highs. He went for, I believe, a buck 23, 20 yards per carry. He had a 53-yard catch and run for a touchdown. He has been way better than anybody. 64th pick overall, I believe, Isabella went 62nd. So they're always going to be paired. Now, Isabella's big week, his big one catch and run for an 88-yard touchdown, Mm -hmm. that helps. 
But Metcalf, to me, I mean, he and Lockett are as explosive of, of a tandem as, as you have in the league. It's really hard to come into this league and put up big numbers as a rookie receiver. Rarely do guys are able to put it together year one. He's on pace right now for just under 1,000 yards, double-digit touchdowns. Um, I think that says more to what he's going to project in the next two to three years. So we'll have to watch that closely. So I think he's he's really kind of the the, the third man on the on the totem pole. I don't see anybody else um, really creeping up in the in that realm. There's obviously no other quarterback. The kid out of Ohio State with Washington, who's a really nice receiver, Terry. Um, he is his productions fall off mainly because their offense and their quarterback plays is, is um, drop off a cliff. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's a two man race. I will say this. Kyler Murray's touchdowns are down from what we thought, but I think that's more of uh, contributions or lack thereof from his receiving core, the maturation of the run game. Cardinals are still putting up Maturation of Kyler Murray as well. We've seen him essentially kind of in a lot of the cases with his decision-making. The Cardinals have been very limited in wanting to keep him on script, kind of not dink and dunk per se, but you've seen them take their shots when they needed to take shots and try to not to force a lot of the, you know, some of these errant throws or other aspects and, you know, give credit at least to what they've been able to do for the most part because a lot of what Murray's strengths are is as we see two kind of throwing to the boundary because he's got a heck of an mm-hmm. arm. And he does that because if he throws inside, you don't want to, you know, just barely miss a guy or see someone get off the route. And then all of a sudden you got a safety taking the ball back the other way. Um, as a result, because they don't have a lot of boundary guys, when they finally got a boundary guy who had speed and got a little bit of separation on the outside, they kind of moved Isabella and he was the one who was there. That's part of where you got to see a big play completed. So I don't know if that says more about if there's progress that Isabella is making. I don't know if that just says to me, it says a lot about the current need and the lack Lack of talent the Cardinals have at the outside wide receiver Absolutely. position is dampering the offense. And as a result, Murray, he didn't throw out on the outside a whole lot. The guys he did throw to a lot were his tight end. He had Grant Calcaterra. He'd throw up. Calcaterra would do a great job of extending, putting two hands up for the ball. The Cardinals had essentially a great pass play, maybe a little bit like a foot or two high from Murray, but they had a great pass play that when I looked at Max Williams, he went back over for it, just put one hand up for the ball, kind of bounces off. It's like, gosh, if you have a guy who's athletic enough to turn around and get those two hands onto it. Kyler is able to essentially kind of calm down a bit. There's pieces to this offense that you can kind of see where Kingsbury, where he's trying to fit in, move some of the strengths around, but he's ultimately not able to. And as a result, what he's done is played to the strengths of the running backs that he's been given. And he's still been able to produce to the point of the Niners giving up 11 points per game or so. I think most to these other teams that they're playing on defense Cardinals go out with only three days worth of prep and put up 25 points on them and it's not that there was you know defensive or even a turnover the Cardinals forced in the game that was offensive points they're able to do driving down the field and getting big plays so that to me at least is a compliment to where the team is I think the biggest thing you're looking at obviously is how are they limited right now do you put this on the lack of talent on whether that's on the offensive side, the defensive side, for me, John, it still just kind of comes back to what we talk about with where Steve Kime is right now. There's not enough talent for the team, and as a result, you're not sure do we just trust this is a rebuild slow process, or is this going to be a case where there's going to be a lack of fear or question marks about some of the team moving forward if they're going to be handcuffed? I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts on some of that, John, as we see, because it's hard to keep coming back to all of that again, but it yeah. still seems to be keep saying that I still feel like this team in some aspects, it still feels like that they're almost underachieving to a point, despite the fact that 
Um, they've still been imp- impressive up to this point from where we and many others thought they'd be. Yeah, I don't I I don't think they're underachieving from a point standpoint. I think they're over I think the offense is overachieved based on what I saw last year and especially the, the offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, are Murray's touchdowns down slightly? Sure, but again, I think that most most of that can be contributed to the style of play that they've done moving more toward the run game, which has been effective. And then also the lack of production from receiver. The Cardinals wanted to add a receiver late in the offseason. It didn't work out with Michael Crabtree. Their best receiver, Christian Kirk, who really is the only one that's able to separate outside of Isabella, who's a rookie, um, wasn't ready. Um, And so, or excuse me, got hurt. Hakeem Butler, their fourth round pick, who would have had some kind of a role, um, broke his hand. So they've had a lot of blows at the receiver position. And the team... Is just was just stripped down so much bare bones that they they didn't really have money to go out and sign a premium free agent receiver, and they brought back Fitzgerald. Here's what I'll say: the the, the second half of the season, they get the Rams twice. Yes, the Rams have Jalen Ramsey, but the Rams have been susceptible to the pass all season long. Cardinals don't the, throw to the outside receivers, so good luck with the, that, right? <laughs> the underachieving Browns. They go to Seattle, who just got torched by Jameis. They play a backup quarterback at home against the Steelers. They get the Niners, yes, in two weeks, but then they get Tampa. I think Murray's pass numbers are going to go way up in the second half. I think he's still going to reach 20-plus passing touchdowns. He's at nine right now. I think he hits that. He might hit it and then some. Um, and then I think next year, next offseason, you just make it a focal point, like whether it's in free agency, if you identify somebody like a Robbie Anderson, if you go after a, you know, a veteran via trade, or if you target somebody in the first round of the draft or at the top of the second, but primarily in the first that you feel like is a game changer on the outside that either falls to you or you move up for and you pair him with Murray. Great. But I do think that the maturation process with Murray, uh, you know, I'm skeptical, but if Isabella plays well in the second half and continues to ascend, has a couple more splash plays like that, you got to feel good about him next year. You get, he Butler back. You get Christian Kirk in year three, which is going to be hopefully his his big time year, which I thought was going to come this year. Um, you've got a couple other, you know, Keyshawn Johnson. If he if he develops into a number three, that's great value for a six rounder. So there are options. The Cardinals are going to upgrade this offense in a lot of different ways, in my opinion. Um, if you know if the offensive line gets upgraded, you upgrade a, a piece in free agency, a piece in the draft that helps in pass protection, that helps your receivers get open, um, and vice versa. So. I, I am I am optimistic that this unit is going to be sniffing the top 10 next year in terms of total offense. But I also feel like we cannot snub our nose. And I don't think fans do this. I think the national media might do this. You know, outsiders, don't snub your nose at the run game because of what Murray brings, what the spread offense brings. The run game could be a staple for Murray his entire career with the Cardinals. You see, we're seeing it with um, a, right, a, and a it might be that Kyler is Lamar a huge, Jackson. yeah, and exactly, and Kyler I believe is a huge part of that. Absolutely. You take a look. One of the most interesting plays that people really broke down today was they were going, "What in the world is Kyler doing on this play?" And they closer and it was i believe one of the plays in the first quarter the cardinals essentially ran a designed run for kyler up the middle against the falcons a few weeks earlier for about a seven to ten yard gain they run the same play except kyler takes two steps forward and then suddenly backs takes a step back and then throws to a tight end who's there down the seam in other words it caused all of those linebackers who had to respect him as a running threat to bite that boosts your passing game you also look at some of these different read options or the fact that the cardinals are 
Um, one of the first teams to really spread the Niners defense out, force their linebackers and guys to have to cover on the outside, opened up room for Kenyon Drake. He makes one guy miss for the most part, and he's downfield running for you know about a 30-yard gain. He did that at least twice in the game overall, not to mention how they were able to at least get him pretty involved in the passing game. So I think this just kind of sums up part of why Kingsbury wanted Murray, and it's a little different even from Lamar Jackson. I've had conversations with you know people. A lot of the biggest doubt seems to over all come from people just question the hits that Jackson takes because even though he's so fast so wicked so difficult to catch at least like he's so much like Michael Vick in that regard maybe even a little shiftier there's always going to be some of the fact that he is an inside runner there are hits that he's going to end up taking yes. that we haven't seen Kyler take yet that, that just kind of part of what it is he there's a reason why kyler hasn't had a whole lot of design runs in my opinion i think some of that is because kyler doesn't like them he wants to protect himself and it's about a long-term approach for the, a team like the arizona cardinals overall. they're different yeah they're different players and let me just make this one quick point blake that people are are proclaiming that lamar jackson top three in the mvp um rightfully so is having a great year statistically but i want you to keep i want people to keep this in mind as a rookie, they're two very different players, Murray and Jackson. But Jackson was on a playoff caliber roster last year. He completed under 60% of his throws. This isn't 16 games. He, he It's not like he was inserted late in the season, like Baker Mayfield. He played in 16 games. He threw six touchdowns. He threw for 1,200 yards, right? He rushed for almost 700 yards and five touchdowns. Yep. Kyler Murray is going to throw for almost 4,000 yards on a bad team with limited playmakers on the outside, with without anything close to what Baltimore had up front on the offensive line. And he's going to run for over 500 yards, right? So almost, not almost, but semi-close to what Lamar Jackson did a year ago. This year, they have identical completion percentages. He only has Lamar Jackson three more passing touchdowns than Murray. He's got one more interception. He's got 10 fumbles. Murray's got one, or excuse me, he had 10 fumbles last year. He's got three fumbles. Murray has one, and he's got 637 yards rushing. Yep. That's that's where his bread and butter is. Kyler Murray is way ahead, and I love Lamar Jackson, way ahead of in where the passing Lamar was game. Oh, totally, and and that's where you just have as a complete quarterback. Yeah, especially from the fact that, and some of it you can also say at least, and this is one of the benefits is last year Lamar Jackson took over on a team that was you know. Built for Joe Flacco and had packages for Lamar Jackson. This year they brought in Greg Roman. There's been that boost. It does show at least that this Kingsbury-Murray marriage, for the most part, it's not only working, it's allowed for a lot of a kind of quicker ascension. As we've, we talked about even in camp, Murray was the one who knew and still knows the offense better than anyone except for perhaps Cliff. It also shows that because of him developing week by week and being able to change, it gives a lot of positivity that you have at least moving forward for him to be able to hopefully take a much bigger step next year as well so there's a lot I know people are always going to compare them to me the comparison I think almost isn't even between Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray it's at essentially the 32 teams that ultimately passed on Lamar Jackson the year before we say 32 because the Ravens still drafted Hayden Hurst at 25th overall ahead yeah. of Lamar Jackson so in that case you're kind of looking at there's a missed opportunity to granted perhaps some of that at least is the teams that all drafted their quarterbacks have for the most part struggled this year or struggled in the Cardinals case last year with a lot of those pocket quarterbacks and kind of reminds you almost of the Trubisky's over the Watson and the Mahomes in that case but it does really kind of show you at least for the most part that that 2018 quarterback class that everyone was hyping up 
hasn't been as much as we've turned out, and so a lot of times you just don't really know how it's going to go in the NFL. So at least credit the teams like the Ravens for making that choice. Credit a team like the Cardinals for ultimately deciding and saying, hey, we are going to not worry that we already drafted a quarterback if we can go out there and get a guy who ultimately is going to be better. And granted, the Cardinals, at least right now, now they've got a huge opportunity, at least in front of them, with the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, before we get into our game preview, um, I, I did say this is our complete cards coverage. Uh, we did want to at least look a little bit around not just the NFL, but also the current state, at least, that we're seeing of the team um, just with the consensus that they have kind of compiling in a lot of the other mock drafts, we haven't talked much college football because, granted, this team has still been competitive. There hasn't been a reason to for the most part. It's been nice. It's been nice. Um, what's notable, obviously, is the AFC versus the NFC outside of a couple of teams, at least, ironically. Most of them on the East Coast have been there. So you're kind of looking, at least for the most part, a lot of people are writing into a tag of Iloa at number one for the most part. The Bengals currently are the only, uh, oh, I should say, defeated. <laughs> they haven't had a single win yet in the NFL. The Miami Dolphins, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, do pick up a win over the hapless Jets, which, to be fair, at least, you always kind of expect that out of Fitzpatrick for the most part. I would have expected something potentially similar out of Josh Rosen, but against Fitz Fitzpatrick, he's just kind of at this stage, even with that age, a better quarterback if you want to win now. Dolphins are not really committed, it seems like, to Rosen whatsoever, so... Poor Josh is kind of up against it. Um, the, the skins, at least for the most part, are a number two with Chase Young is where the consensus is. About 41% of mock drafts are featuring that. So that will be an interesting question I'll have for you, John. Have have you seen enough from Dwayne Haskins that has you think that you shouldn't potentially move on from him like the Cardinals did with Rosen a year ago? Because that no. would change the whole first round if that ends up being the case, right? Yeah, I don't think. I think that they're going to have the same GM Bruce Allen, who um, took him, but it was the owner who was infatuated with Haskins. Um, Dan Snyder, there's connections with uh, Haskins and grandkids. He just, there was some kind of family tie where they loved him. And I, I do think he can be a competent NFL quarterback. I don't think he's ready or he was ready. And that's a dumpster fire situation and organization. So, I mean, Tua, you take Tua, he's not going to fix that next year. Um, you need to build around Dwayne Haskins um, and, and see what you have. They haven't even been able to really see what they have. They're going to try to put together a makeshift roster of just, I mean, right now Washington's situation is in, in the bottom tier with Miami and, and the Jets in, in terms of just talent, especially offensively. We're trotting out Adrian Peterson as your featured back. I know they get Darius Geis back, but I don't, I think that, I think that they're going to take BPA. They'll probably go chase young or they'll go uh, maybe a top offensive tackle, or you know they'll go splash in. They'll take one of the wide receivers, but yeah, I don't trade think back go. to a team. Maybe yeah, we'll, yeah we'll I, don't, I think I think they think that they can they can supplement that pick, pick number two, because I don't think they're going to win another game this year. Maybe they're picking one for additional assets, but the Cardinals tried to do that too, and they didn't come away with anything. So um, I think it's going to be the Bengals, and I think you're going to see Miami get aggressive, and I think you could see. Maybe a team like Denver, in the if, if they're in the top 10 again, John Elway's going to have some kind of sense of urgency to, to fix that quarterback position once and for all. So um, then you're going to have teams, you know, like the Jets that are going to be sniffing around similar positions at the Cardinals, pass rusher, tackle, receiver. You're going right. to have uh, teams like the Atlanta Falcons who would, mm -hmm. you would think go heavy defensively. 
the Giants that could use outside receiver help, O-line help. So it's funny. Yeah. A lot of these teams that are going to be picking around Arizona or ahead of them have similar needs. Oakland, and there's similar talent, which is at least one of the, from the benefits, Bears, yep. but also a con as well. And that will That's just right. kind of breeze through some of those picks. Miami, uh, they actually had Andrew Thomas, the O-line for Georgia, at the third overall pick at least for that. Um, uh, obviously, with Adam Gase and that, that's going to be a fascinating scenario to watch. It's, it's just turned into a train wreck in New York, essentially, where it's going to be interesting with a lot of people are recommending that the GM who Adam Gase essentially recruited and hired, some people saying you got to have him moved out of here. That's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, Joe Burrow was the quarterback that they had right now at number four. We'll see what happens as far as with Jalen Hurts' draft stock as well, especially considering with Oklahoma, they had a big loss over the week, and as far as for if that's going to deal any type of Heisman uh, hopes are kind of dealt a blow there. Uh, Jeffrey Okuda is kind of a guy who's seemingly taken over for Grant Delpit, the LSU safety, as the top five pick. He's an outside corner. They said he's probably the best corner they've seen in the draft since Jalen Ramsey. And like you mentioned, the Jerry Judy, the first wide receiver, comes off the board to the New York Giants. I mean, personally for here with me, I'd kind of look at least at Justin Herbert being on the board there potentially, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't get to make at least the picks there. Uh, Worf's at least a tackle that you, I know, have raved about is considered to go to the Browns at seventh overall. It's fascinating with all these teams that are either looking for quarter or looking for tackles or looking for quarterbacks for the most part. Doesn't mean that some of those pass rushers for the most part after Chase Young are kind of falling. We do see that with Derek Brown going ninth to the uh, Denver Broncos who miss out on Justin Herbert going eighth to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which we're going to get into the Bucs for the most part at least. And that's to me a really interesting case as far as Jameis Winston's in his fifth year of his contract, his last year. What exactly is going to be the case with, uh, with him after the season is done? Right now, this is essentially kind of the point where the uh, Cardinals in 2013 started to turn it around, started playing good games defensively, played an easier, pretty soft schedule. Um, You could look at Jameis. He had no turnovers in the last game, threw for a ton of yards and a bunch of touchdowns. Um, The other thing, at least, that will be interesting to me is look at the 10th overall pick right now belongs to the Chicago Bears who traded it away to the Oakland Raiders, who took CeeDee Lamb in the consensus for that mock draft position. Cardinals end up having, um, uh, as far as their pick, Isaiah Simmons, an outside linebacker slash safety. And this is interesting to me, John, because you know how much I've talked about with the wide receiver and the need. If you wanted to say, hey, what's the biggest strength that a guy like Isaiah Simmons brings? You could say, well, he's a super athletic, you know, kind of all-around linebacker, maybe similar to a Roquan Smith, but he's very... Very, very good in coverage where he's played enough at safety that he's able to essentially cover tight ends is one of the biggest things that his profile said. Now, when you're talking about that, it almost is like, well, maybe you kind of have to get that. Maybe that looks like one of your biggest needs. But then you're talking about, hey, this is our, what is that? I think at least the 2014, 2017, 2019 you keep taking Goodness. another first round inside linebacker. It's like at some point for all that, a lot of people I know are wanting to kind of push that yeah. as saying this is the biggest need to fix for a lot of those areas. What, no. what are your thoughts on that, John? Here's my biggest ask of the team. And this is going to sound really vague, but I, I, I think they need a lot. And so I'm not so fixated on the position. And here's what I want after the slew of busts and misses that this team has had and projects, and tweeners, whatever, I want them to take a player from a blue-collar program, a major program, like an Alabama, or an LSU, or Clemson, or an Ohio State, 
that is that excels at their position that they're going to be playing at the next level. That was <laughs> right. the problem with Hassan Reddick. That was the problem with Dayon Buchanan. You know, Jonathan Cooper played at UNC. God love him. You know, say what you want about DJ Humphreys. He's he been the even most we saw him. At left tackle, he's been yep. fine. It was when they put him at right tackle for the first year where he was starting. He take was out of position. Player, same, take same a thing. player like a Tristan Wirf, who comes. I was a offensive line factory. Take an Andrew Thomas, who plays in the best conference. You know, take a, you know, take a uh, Derek Brown, who plays in the trenches for you know Auburn in the in the best conference. Take a Jerry Judy, Judy or a Ceedee Lamb, who's it plays at blue collar fran- uh, franchises, blue collar collegiate. Um, universities, you know, the kid, the safety out of LSU, you know, the corner from Alabama. I don't, I'm at the point right now, whereas just hit on the player and I will not burn them for doing the safe conventional pick. It's when they get cute and they reach and they, they pass on proven, but I don't know if it's that they get fixated on ceiling versus floors why is Kyler Murray working out? Because he was the best player. He went to a um, top five conference university in terms of you know one of the five major conferences. He played on a team that was in the playoffs who had no business being in the playoff, but he elevated him along with Lincoln Riley. He was the best player in college football. And it didn't matter that he was undersized because his, his skill set, what he did, was going to translate because you had a plan. You knew you were going to bring him to the next level with Kingsbury. You were going to run something similar. So take one of these players in the first round. We got a ton of time to talk about draft. But do not do not try to convince me of another project first-round pick that played outside, that we're going to ask to play inside or vice versa. Just get them at their collegiate position and ask them to do that at the next level. And I pray to God that they played at a cornerstone collegiate program. You want to take guys – second day, third day from small schools and hope it works out. The David Johnson's, the John Brown's, hopefully the Andy Isabella's. I'm cool with that. My first round pick, give me somebody from Clemson or an offensive lineman from Wisconsin or from Notre Dame. I that, I know that's, you know, you get Khalil Mack from Buffalo. That's the outlier. Give me somebody because this first round is going to be, you're going to be watching the playoffs this year. That's Those are the players that are going in the first round. I'm looking at mocks left and right. LSU, Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia. Those are the top prospects right now. I, I'm, I'm not fixated on position. I just want a player from those schools. I mean, Ohio State players, outside of Dwayne Haskins because it's a quarterback, their, their players never bust. And you look at their their second, third, fourth rounders, they're all big-time contributors. I, I mean, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, the receiver we talk about, countless defensive backs, right? They're, they're, they're always producers. So I want the Cardinals to go heavy on collegiate powerhouses. And if they bust, they bust. But I, I think that they'll have, you know, we're getting, we're, our standards are so low with the first round picks for this team. It's not like they're, they're, they're not exceeding expectations to become a pro bowler because that's what you want from your first round pick, right? You think, okay, his ceiling is, we think he can be, he can become top five at his position. The Cardinals players in the first round outside of Murray and to a lesser extent, Humphreys, they cannot get another contract in the league. They are out yep. of the league, right? Jonathan yep. Cooper is a journeyman. Um, uh, Robert Kimdichie, who had off-the-field concerns, I know he went to a 
Old Miss, say what you want, it plays in the SEC. He's going to be out of the league, right? Daniel Buchanan is unsigned right now. Um, Hassan Reddick looks like he could be out of the league in a couple years. I mean, like that, Josh Rosen, that is a problem. Now, Rosen went to UCLA, but it's a quarterback. So I think that that, that position itself is kind of an outlier. But the rest of these guys pick from premium collegiate operations and Hopefully it works out. I think you just you have to start doing that because it looks like right now the same guy is going to be making the pick in the first round that has done it since 2013, and something's got to change. Yeah, essentially it sounds like, John, what you're asking for Steve Kime to do is for Steve Kime to kind of not be Steve Kime, which to, yeah, to their which credit – asking a lot. Yeah, to their credit at least, last year we did see that type of behavior essentially end up only manifesting itself in – um, in essentially one form, you looked at the pick overall of Kyler Murray and the second one, a major player um, in Byron Murphy. Now, granted, we know there was a lot of interest in Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. There was probably we'll get to see him play, at least as the Patriots are activating him there in pretty bad shape as far as wide receiver goes. Lost to the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson this week. Offense has just not nearly been the same for the most part. So um, that's going to be something I think we'll have to watch and see what goes on, especially with the offseason. Um, considering that their signings, for the most part, you've seen some struggles in getting to the passer. You've seen Chandler Jones kind of not be able to regain his 2016 or 2017 form as well. Uh, granted, he hasn't nearly had the Calais Campbell or Marcus Golden types that have been nearby, but it'll be something I think to watch for the rest of the season because schedule's going to get tougher for this part of it here. Um, you're going to obviously have some games that are going to be um, starting off the Bucks game, in my opinion at least, is the last one that seems to be that it's a maybe not even winnable. You're going toward the fact where, John, you've been kind of watching um, the line move on this game for the most part. I don't think the yeah. Cardinals are going to be favored, but it's been slowly creeping toward that, and a lot of people even today are like saying, hey, this Bucks secondary it's awful for that one. You've got um, a team with the Bucks that has given up over 50 points multiple times during this season. You also yep. have a Cardinals defense that can't seem to force turnovers is going to be going up against Mike Evans, a healthy OJ Howard. And also on the other side, at least the, um, the guy who's been really emerging, at least. Oh, gosh. Now, this is where I hate it where the different names at least escape me for the most part but Chris Godwin. yeah Godwin Godwin I was gonna say I was thinking of like Chris Conley for some reason I'm like no nope, no nope, that's a different Chris got a common name yeah and again it's gonna be the Bruce Arians offense with a guy who's going to be honestly in in this sense I think maybe more motivated he even talked about it in the Colts game when he was there his rookie year against Andrew Luck he said it's like you bring your little brother you just want to be able to go and whip him out back that is exactly the mentality I think that Bruce Arians uh, on the home turf in Tampa Bay is going to try to bring to this game um, I don't think it's, it's necessarily going to be an anti-Cardinal sentiment he did retire there were positive feelings that he had ultimately about the retirement for the most part a lot of it was with health and the fact that his wife was ready to essentially move back east the Buccaneers you know live really close ultimately to kind of that forever home in Georgia but uh, talk a bit about what have you seen so far from the team from Arian some of the departure kind of you know knowing what we know now back from where we had then what are some of the thoughts you have just about the BA and everything in general as we kind of go into this game where it feels like you're you know the Cardinals of two years ago are playing the Arizona Cardinals of 2019 essentially yeah. it's crazy yeah and that team wasn't very good so hopefully it leads to similar uh results even though they somehow finished 500 and that was the staple of the Arians teams they, he got the most out of his teams every year that team in 2013 that he took over after 2012 
had no business in that division with two Super Bowl contenders in Seattle and San Francisco. They had no business winning 10 games. Um, and I was at the finale against San Francisco that year uh, against Harbaugh, and they could have won that game easily and been 11-5, to which have been – I mean, he already won Coach of the Year. He definitely deserved it. And then some Todd Bowles was phenomenal the next year, um, making the playoffs at 11-5 and with no quarterback outside of Palmer playing a handful of games. Um, he elevated this team, and and they really he was the best coach that they've had in the history of the franchise, alongside Don Coryell. Um, you know, Wisenhunt's probably third on that list, and was elevated by Kurt Warner. Bruce Arians elevated everybody, um, and he was a, a phenomenal leader. And it was it was you know unfortunate that they weren't able to put it all together in 2014, 2015. But he kept this team relevant. He he developed a lot of good players, um, and you know. I think I don't think any of us were surprised that he came out of retirement, especially with with the former you know assistant GM Jason Light, who who now runs the show in Tampa, kind of coaxing him out, um, and that was always kind of going to be his landing preferred landing spot. Um, that was his I, job I, saver. He got a contract extension after luring B A out right. of retirement. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, uh, I do think that they're going to put it all together. It's just they're they're in a position similar to the Cardinals where they're in a division with some good teams, uh, Carolina and New Orleans, and they just they have a void of talent. Different positions. They they're loaded at receiver, but they have no defense to speak of. Um, Todd Bowles, who who really put on a, a, a clinic defensively early in the season, their talent has just fallen off too much for him to be able to supplement that. Um, the line you mentioned, uh, it started at five or five and a half. It's down to four, and if it gets down to three, that's essentially a a pick 'em because the yep. default um, line for a home team is you usually give the home team three points. So um, the Cardinals are in a position right now where they're running the ball as effectively as they've had in forever. And so I'm not super convinced that Tampa's going to be able to stop that because they haven't played a quarterback similar to Murray all year outside of Russell Wilson, and they got lit up by Russell Wilson. Um, and then defensively in their back seven, it's one of the worst secondaries. It might be the wor- it might be worse than the Cardinals secondary. It, just it might be paper. worse than last year, which is yeah, kind of crazy. Which was, last which year was, was awful. Which was nuts. And then I think what really helps and, and plays in Arizona's advantage um, it's cliche, but it's the turnover factor. Their offense leads the league in turnovers. Um, the Cardinals offense is one of the um, most productive teams in the league in terms of not turning the ball over. I think Murray has the least amount of turnovers in the NFL. Um, total combined fumbles and um, interceptions, uh, fumbles, loss, and interceptions in the league. I think he, less, less than even um, Russell Wilson. Um, and so if you're able to put pressure on Jameis, they lead the league in sacks allowed, even though the Cardinals are right behind them, 30 to 29. Um, if you're able to pressure him and force him into positions where you're going to get extra possessions because of their turnovers, the Cardinals are going to be in, in, in great positions to, to win this football game. They're going to be able to stretch the field against the Tampa defense with or without a run game. I, I believe that. I think they're going to score 30 plus points. I put it on Twitter. I think they're going to score 30 points with their eyes closed. I think that they've had 10 days to prepare. They're healthier now than they have been. They've got their best offensive line right now with Pew at right tackle. Yes, you've got Shaq Barrett. Humphreys is playing his best football in terms of pass protection. He'll go one-on-one with him. The rest of that Bucks defense, their defensive line, is, is nothing to ride home about. They've got some promising young players, but if the Cardinals can just get a hand on the receivers um, in the back end with Godwin, you would, you would assume that Godwin and Murphy are going to be matched up, maybe a little bit of Tremaine Brock. Peterson, you know, prayers, you got to handle Mike Evans uh, after that embarrassment against Emmanuel Sanders. And then it looks like O.J. Howard is trending on playing. 
I think that this is going to be a shootout, but I do think the Cardinals are going to pull away. I think that Chandler Jones is going to have a big week against a Bucks offensive line that is worse than Arizona's. Jameis has 12 picks this year. I think he's got seven fumbles lost. I, I, I feel like every week I'm watching a game or a red zone or whatever, and another team is returning a Jameis turnover yeah, for a touchdown. He's taking a lot like of sacks, too. A lot I feel like of it happens, happens every week. He's got minimal pocket awareness, but he just throws up you know, home run balls to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. They come down with it. So it's going to be probably, I think, the most entertaining game this year just because there's going to be a lot of points. But I think Murray, right now, the Cardinals have the better better quarterback. They have, um, I mean, can can we say they have the better defense right now? I think they've got yeah. better defense personnel-wise. I don't know about, you know, they don't, they don't have the coaching advantage, and that concerns me a little bit. I would say they have maybe more talent overall on the defense, at least now. I, I think but they have the better be running game. They have the better quarterback. Yeah. Um, and I think that they have the more consistent offense. So I, I think the Cardinals win this game. I'm going to say they put up 40 points for the first time in, in forever. I think they put up 40 points, not in a route, but I think they pull away late 40 to 27. And I think, I think Murray throws like five touchdowns. I think it's going to be that kind of game. I know I'm way underselling hmm. the secondary, but I think this is going to be the kind of game where you're looking up and, and the red zone is going to be going nuts because the points are going to be scored. I think there's just the, the possessions are going to be so fast on both sides. Um, especially if the Cardinals aren't able to run the ball and your Murray throws, I think he could throw 40, 50 times this game easily. Yeah. If you look at kind of what the averages outside of the Buccaneers Panthers game early in the season where Cam Newton just looked lost and the Buccaneers kind of scraped together a win. The average points they've given up has been brutal. They've given up 31 points to the 49ers, 32 to the Giants, 40 to the Rams. They did win that game by putting up 55 points. So that 31 to the Saints, 37 to the Panthers, another 27 to the Titans. Last last the Titans week, 40 are, to the Seahawks. Are terrible offensively. Yeah, put up 27 points in a win. I, I, that's why I think there's just it's it's on a silver platter right now. Right. After, it's on a silver platter for your that offense. demoralizing loss at Seattle. It's going to be hard for them to get up for this game. Yeah, I think at least I I don't know if I'll go and say 40 points, but if you gave me and said that you know the over under for this game at least right now seems to be I think it's 52 points is what they're saying, and everyone's saying eh, take the over for that. Both teams are probably going to score more than 26 points each considering the shape of their two defenses. I would say if it's going to be about 35 points, I'd take the over. I'll go ahead and give this and say it'd be a 36 and I'll go with 36 to 33 Cardinals. win would be my prediction? Nice. I don't think they hang 40, but I do think what ends up happening at least is that there's some kind of late game play. What we've seen between the two of them, how they manage the clock. There's at least enough that has me convinced that the way that Kingsbury has been managing and calling games, the way Winston has made enough kind of bonehead moves this year. I think the Cardinals get the ball back with just enough time to be able to drive down and get a game winning field goal in Tampa. Um, if it ends up turning into a case where this is a Bucks win, John, what would you be believing is the reason that the Buccaneers, if they were to pull this off? Because uh, uh, for us, the Cardinals, Cardinals, defense. End, the Cardinal Cardinals defense. defense. Yeah. Hmm. Easily the Cardinal defense. The Cardinal defense, if they if they play the similar pass defense, uh, if Jameis has a game where he's able to sit back and throw darts and and isn't pressured and it can do his best, Drew Brees and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he's on pace for. And if Mike Evans uh, goes off for like 150 yeah, yards and Patrick Peterson, he's on pace for 32 touchdowns. The problem is he's on pace for also 24 picks. Um, the Cardinals, if they have to go, I mean, the Cardinals lost at home to Kyle Allen badly. If they have to go score for score with Jameis, I mean, there's there'd be zero margin for error. Um, 
because if this defense mails it in, I just think that with 10 days to prepare and you're off an emotional high where you played well on Sunday night, the, 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 the Tampa Bay Bucks blew a 21 to seven lead and lost in um, gut wrenching fashion to Seattle. I just think that they're going to come out and they're going to lay an egg at home. I just, they're two and five. They have nothing to play for. They're not making the playoffs. A lot of, a lot of things are left up in the air. Um, it's an emotional homecoming for Arians. I, I just think the Cardinals are going to be in a, come in a position where Kingsbury, 10 days to prepare. We're going to find out a lot about it because the Cardinals always come out really well scripted offensively and they make great halftime adjustments that, that shows a coaching advantage. Um, and I, I just, the Tampa doesn't have the, the, the personnel to blow people out. I think the Cardinals have, have shown you glimpses against Atlanta, against the Giants in the first half to a lesser extent, Cincinnati, where they can get up big on people. So um, whether or not they can keep the pedal of the metal, I don't know. But I just, if the Cardinals lose, it's going to be 100% again on their pass defense, not showing up. Yeah, we'll see at least. I do agree. Part of it also is with the Cardinals getting David Johnson back and reportedly planning to use him and Kenyon Drake on the field at the same time a lot. I do think that's going to be a large mismatch, at least where Murray's got, you know, a another weapon back. Maybe you end up seeing a bit more of, uh, I, I hope they'll see a bit more of Isabella. It seems to be that even in the limited touches, there's just too much of a threat that they have with the speed there and not enough issues or concerns as far as with drops or the the other aspects. Well, let's see who's active. You know, Keyshawn Johnson was inactive for a week and Isabella got zero snaps and come into the following week, all of a sudden, guess who caught two touchdowns? Keyshawn Johnson and Andy Isabella against the Niners. So that'll about wrap it up for our show tonight. Again, if you do want to uh, listen more, check out the rest of our other podcasts we have going on. We've got a great lineup that's coming up at least for our bye week. Um, we also are going to be having, uh, again, another look kind of at the NFL draft landscape. Uh, just to kind of do a little bit of a check-in and uh, you can make sure that you are like and subscribe to our show. Um, we're located on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Um, we're there on Himalaya as well as places even like, uh, I believe you can even find us on iHeartRadio. Um, I'll have to double check on that one. So if you're listening to this and looking for it on iHeartRadio and it's not on there, then um, definitely you can feel free to correct me by tweeting me at BlakeMurphy7. Uh, John, where can some of the listeners be able to find you as well as your content? Yeah, I'm at Johnny Touchdown on Twitter. And then, of course, here on the ROTV pod, uh, if you have not subscribed already, please do so. Um, we love the support that, that you guys consistently bring, and we love doing this uh, every week. We're going to continue doing it, hopefully every week, into the off season, And then, of course, uh, written form at revengeofthebirds.com. I do a weekly recap, rapid reaction for the game. And uh, as we get closer to... The end of the season and the draft season, we'll start to do more and more coverage of uh, potential prospects that um, you'd like to see the Cardinals keen in on. So, Blake, where can they find all of your material? Yep, that'll be there at Revenge of the Birds. I did another recap, a crossover, I know, with Niners Nation. I'll be taking some of the thoughts that we penned out with the preview, kind of a halfway point of the season. What does the Cardinals defense look like? What does the Cardinals offense look like? Kind of summing up some of that, at least, and then seeing what we can expect for uh, moving forward with the rest of the year. Uh, thanks again for joining in, everyone. We'll tune in and catch you guys, at least, on the other side of the Buccaneers game against good old Bruce Arians and a plethora of former Cardinals. Take care, everyone. <laughs>